you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I have it on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I believe that helps as well. 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read just a few verses, starting at verse 4 down to 7. And uh, Brother Francois, just to address something, you had asked me to put that in the video description, the links for those songs. I, I had a second to think about that. I, I don't know how to do it right this second. I can do it after I'm done with the live stream. I know how to go back and add something to the video description. And moving forward for our next services or, or future services, I, I can put it in the description leading up to that. So I'll try to try to take care of that as soon as I can. All right, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 7. And today, as you can see, we're preaching about God gives the increase. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. If you would please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the wonderful, wonderful singing we were able to enjoy already. God, we miss getting to do the singing ourselves as a congregation. Please allow us as soon as possible to gather and assemble again. We miss the provocation to love and to good works. God, we had a number of prayer requests today. We lift those up to you and, and please bring them to our hearts and minds later. Remind us as, as we approach your throne later to specifically talk about these things with you. And Lord, I pray now for this sermon, this message that you would deliver it, that the Spirit of God would move and that even this morning, you would increase us with the increase of God. We want to be filled with your fullness. Fill me now with your spirit as I attempt to preach. A dying men to dying men, never sure to preach again. God, if this is the last one, oh God, please let us, let us make the most of this opportunity. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now with a title like this, God Gives the Increase. You can see how this could easily spin off into a sermon about prosperity. And uh, we're certainly not going to take that route. I want to show you a verse that I think will add to our thinking here. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 17. We're talking this morning about the increase of God. God giving the increase. And this Laodicean church... In the book of Revelation, Jesus addressed them. Remember, they were the lukewarm church, not all the way in one way or the other, just kind of straddling the fence, not hot, not cold. And this, by the way, was the only church that responded to Jesus. They spoke up. All the other churches, they took the rebuke and on they went. But the church of the Laodiceans, by the, uh, the word Laodicea means, this, it means civil rights or the rights of the people. It matches perfectly the generation in which we live now. It's all about power to the people, and we have our rights. And they said this, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. 
Oh, God, save us from such an attitude. This is their declaration. This is their testimony. I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. Jesus is going to point out to them their true spiritual condition. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This, this church claimed the increase. We are increased. Yes, maybe they were, but not in the way that God desired. They were increased, but not with the increase of God. Let me show you this particular phrasing. I'm in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 19. I want you to see the way Paul used the phrase. Paul said here, and not holding the head. Now, if you understand this chapter, the Colossians, some of them were getting a bit confused about what to do after they were saved. Should we then uh, go back to Hebrew roots? Should we attempt this Gnostic approach where we don't touch anything physical? Should we adopt this or that tradition? Should we worship this or that angel? They, they were getting distracted. And Paul said, guys, you're not holding the head. You're, you're not falling deeper in love and becoming more rooted and grounded in Christ not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, watch this, increaseth with the increase of God. God has a system that he has put in place. This works in the natural world, by the way. It works also in the spiritual. One man will plant, another will water, but God is the one behind each aspect of the system, each joint, each band, each member of the body plays its part so that the whole body grows, so that things increase according to God's plan. Right? We see this in the natural world. We read it in the book of Acts when Paul was preaching to some heathen, some Gentiles. They were trying to worship him. He said, guys, it's God that gives the rain. It's God that gives us fruitful seasons and gives us joy and gladness in, in our hearts. It's God that's behind this natural system. Worship him. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. God has a system by which he works and he wants to see people grow he has put us together as a church, in this case, speaking of the church universal. However, the same truth would apply to a, a church local that each member contributes and we can increase according to God's plan. Now, what do I mean by increase? That's what we need to address this morning. Let me ask you this question. Recently, I'm talking in the past weeks or months, recently, have you seen the increase of God in your life? Have you experienced the increase of God? So, Pastor, how do I measure that? How, how can I go about answering that and determining whether or not God has been building and adding and increasing in my life? Should I turn to my bank account and check there? Should I... Should I go to the hospital and have them check my health? Is that how I measure it, how healthy I am? Do I need a bigger house, right? Prosperity, is that how I measure it? I don't, friends, there's, there's no promise in the New Testament that if you follow Christ, 
your bank account's going to increase, that your health is going to get better, and that your house or, and your possessions are going to overflow. There's no promise of that. God never promised you bigger barns. So how do we measure the increase of God? Let me give you a few thoughts on this. You read in some places where the Bible talks about our faith increasing. The disciples once prayed, Lord, increase our faith. Has your faith increased? We sing a song, I have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have fervently, earnestly prayed. But I cannot have rest and be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. I'm sure you remember that song. Have you fervently, earnestly prayed for faith to increase? That's part, that's part of God's system of His plan for building you up for your faith to increase. In 1 Thessalonians, we see it a couple of times where Paul says that his desire for that church, he wants their love one to another to increase and abound more and more. Has your love grown? Have you seen that aspect of your life increase? God would certainly like to see it grow. Let me show you a couple of verses here. I'm going to take you to the book of Acts, chapter 16, to begin with, in verse number 5. In Acts 16 and verse 5, it says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, this is speaking about local churches. Let me ask you this. Have you done anything to add to the local church? You say, Pastor, we're not allowed to meet. That doesn't stop the local church. I, it, it certainly does hinder it. it. It does make things more difficult. But let's not use that as an excuse. Let's use that as a reason to get creative. We can still talk to people about Christ. We can still attempt to disciple people. We can invite them to as much of church as we can offer them. The church has increased in, number day, in, in numbers. That's part of God's plan to bring people in where they can get fed. Let me show you another verse in the book of Acts, chapter 6 this time. And verse number seven, I think this works together with what we just saw. It says, and the word of God increased. Now, this verse is not talking about people writing other books to add to the Bible. You can see how it works. The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. These disciples were going out preaching. The word of God increased in that more people heard it. Have you seen the increase of God recently? This is all part of it. So how can I see more of it? Well, just like we read in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning, down there in verse number 6, I have planted Apollos water. They were busy taking the message, the truth of the gospel, and planting it, watering the seed. They were busy telling people what Jesus had done for them. That's one way to see the increase of God. Play your part. Let the next member of the body play his or her part and then stand back and watch God's plan work. Have you seen souls saved? Have you planted? Have you watered? I love this one. I'm going to show you the verse because it's such a great verse for this topic. John the Baptist said, He must increase but I must decrease. 
Isn't that a simple and powerful truth? They were asking John all these questions about himself, asking him, aren't you worried that this man Jesus has a bigger ministry than you and more followers than you? And John knew the plan. He said, guys, it's not about me. It's not about me increasing, me getting more of what I want, me having more exposure, more followers. That's not it. My job was to come and shine light on the Lamb of God. He must increase but I must decrease. Have you seen an increase of Jesus Christ in your life? Has he become a greater reality to you? You know, there's a couple ways you can think about increasing. When you think about a house being built, which by the way, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is eventually going to get down to telling them this, know you not that you're the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. It's a building project. Just take a look at this. Look at verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. There's supposed to be increase, building, growth onto this foundation that has been laid. The focus of the chapter, what the Corinthians had forgotten, is that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. Now, when you think of it as a building project, right, any building, you can grow it in different ways. You can add up, you can add out, you can even go down. You can add rooms underneath, right? Build onto the basement. You might need to deepen your spiritual life. You may need to reach out in your spiritual life. You may need to reach up, spend some more time with God. Whatever the case is, there should be increase. The increase of God should be evident in your life. I'd like to walk you through some of these verses this morning, just point out a few quick things. Paul was going to help this local church get straightened out on, on the, some of their struggles here. And the first thing I want to talk about comes from verse number four. Paul said here, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? My first point is, get your goals right. Get your goals right. You might want to say this, reassess your priorities. This church was struggling and having divisions and strife and arguments and complaining and contending, contentions, because of who their favorite preacher was. Now, I've seen a lot of people approach this, this passage and they try to explain it by saying that Paul represents one denomination and Apollos represents a different denomination. And then you'd have Peter representing some other denomination. And, and they like to, to make this line up with all the divisions we have within Christianity and all these various denominations. That's actually not a perfect parallel explanation, I, I don't think, because these different, when we talk about different denominations, they, we don't assemble together with them. This is one local assembly. And within that local assembly, they are fighting and fussing amongst themselves saying, well, I got saved under Paul. And the next guy says, yeah, but Apollos led me to Christ. The next guy says, yeah, but Peter discipled me. And they thought that this actually made them more spiritual than the next guy. The end goal was to outdo their brother or sitter, sister sitting next to them in the church. 
I'm better than you. It was all about vainglory. They had lost sight of the greater goal that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We act as a dwelling place for God. God's presence is to be manifested in us, and that should overflow, right? The cup should overflow so that people even outside of us get a, a touch and a taste of that presence. And this church had lost sight of that. Their goals were all wrong. They said, well, if I outdo the guy next to me, then I must be making progress. No, you're not. That's not progress. You need to, you need to take your goals take your priorities and judge them by an eternal standard. Just think this through with me. You stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you really think when the Lord examines your life that if you were to tell him, well, Lord, I got saved by listening to Paul and that guy over there got saved listening to Apollos. My favorite preacher, I found him on YouTube and he was this and this guy and I listened to lots of his sermons. And that guy, he followed somebody else on YouTube so, Lord, I deserve more rewards. Do you really think that's how it works? That's not going to help you in eternity. What, what the Corinthians had lost sight of is Paul and Apollos. These aren't separate denominations preaching two different gospels and two different uh, systems by which people should live. Paul and Apollos were preaching the same thing. They were on the same page. Now, they might have had different preaching styles, right? And that's fine. You can have a preference. You can say, I like, I like the way Garrett explains it. I like the way Francois preaches. I, Armand does a good job. I like the way Pastor... You have your preference. The goal, however, is to, cre is to take a broken down shack of a person that is void of God's presence, give them the gospel. We begin a building project where we take that shack we lay a new foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and begin to build on that. And that person now is a temple, a structure in which God's presence can be manifested. That's the goal. That is what will stand in eternity. When you stand before Christ, how did you participate in that building project? Were you interested in increasing the things of God and God's presence? in your life and in other people's lives. That will stand not the test of time, but the test of eternity. You say, Brother Mike, I don't have any issues with this. I am not, I am not fussing and fighting with people about who my favorite preacher is. You know why a lot of people aren't fussing and fighting about it? It's because they don't care about preaching at all. <laughs> it, they don't struggle with this problem because they don't have a favorite preacher. <laughs> the Word of God, hearing preaching is just not that important to them. That's one way of avoiding the issue. And maybe you're not going to be distracted, right, by this carnal matter. And when Paul says, are you not carnal? He's, he's saying, guys, you're not thinking eternally. You're thinking like men. You're thinking very temporally, temporarily. You guys got to have the long look. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. All right, the things eternal. So I'm not distracted by who's preaching, Maybe it's a different distraction. The devil will, he will do whatever he can to get your goals in the wrong place, to, to get your priorities pointed in the wrong direction so that you work hard and, and, and put a lot of labor and zeal into something that will come to nothing. Say, preaching is not a problem with me. Maybe it's the pandemic. Man, our, 
There are some people really interested in this. I mean, they spend hours and hours researching every every controversy and every conspiracy theory, and they know all the details about the vaccines and the, you know, how it might link to the mark of the beast. And boy, they're all interested now. Really? A pandemic? The, the, the death of the Savior, his burial, his resurrection wasn't enough to stir you up? It took a pandemic? What are you going to do when the pandemic goes away? It's not going to stand the test of time. You might be distracted by that. If it's not the pandemic, it might be politics. Well, people get all stirred up over that, but that's not an eternal thing. But boy, they love to divide over it, right? It's so bad now that there are some churches that if you adopt a particular political stance, you're not welcome in that church. Boy, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be a source of division. That's a carnal way to approach things. If it's not politics, it might be the prejudice of people, their preferences. You like that kind of music. I like this kind of music. That's not a reason to divide. We shouldn't be struggling and fighting with each other over such silly little temporary issues that make no difference in the long run. I think Paul's trying to remind them, guys, get your, get your goals right. You get busy with the harvest, with the work of the harvest that, that God's interested in. What is God interested in increasing Here's what Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That's what Jesus is interested in. God is interested in increasing the knowledge of Christ, not only amongst unbelievers so that they come to a saving knowledge and saving faith, but even in believers growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might want to take some time this morning, reassess, where you're putting all the time and effort into get your goals right. Make sure that you are laboring fervently for something that will stand the test, not of time, but of eternity. Number two, I want to talk about something you'll see here in verse six and seven. God gave and still gives. Let me point this out. We'll come back to verse five in just a moment. But verse six says this, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Do you notice the past tense there? God gave the increase. Watch verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Giveth, that's just the old English way of saying gives, which is the present tense. So God gave, God gives. You know, sometimes we're tempted to, we read the book of Acts, we read about how God worked in those apostolic times and great revivals took place, how those early Christians endured persecution. Then we can step into the annals of church history. We read these wonderful stories of how uh, things slowly progressed through the centuries and how you, know, you get to the Reformation and how the missions movement exploded all over, the, all over the world. And you read about the first great awakening and the second great awakening. And, and the work of God, you read it in, in history, you say, man, God did amazing things, but the God that gave that increase is the same God that is still busy giving incre that same increase even today for those who are busy about their father's business. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, occupy till I come. If you read that parable, he gave each of his servants a pound and then he said, I'm going to go away. I'll come back one day. 
And when, he, when I come back, I'm going to judge you based on what you did with what I gave you. I want to see if your pound increases. Right? That's what he was looking for. Thy pound, right? The, the servant came and said, my pound hath gained 10 pounds. My pound gained 5 pounds. Have you seen an increase? Jesus said, here's something to work with. Now occupy till I come. It's wonderful to read the stories of the past and get encouragement and you can read about what God has done. But let's not think that God is limited to the past. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you go study the context of Hebrews 13 where that verse appears, I believe you'll see that it fits perfectly with the point I'm trying to make now. That the same Jesus Christ that has saved and worked through and in these Men and women of the past, he is the same Jesus Christ that is in us and can work in us. God gave and God still gives. He still gives the increase. Look at this verse here in John chapter 5. Jesus says, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. What a great truth. My Father worketh hitherto. They were asking him, why, why are you working on the Sabbath? Why are you constantly busy? He said, well, my Father is still working, so I'm still working. Here's the attitude. As long as God's busy doing something, let me stay busy in that same thing. If this is, worth, if this is where God is, is devoting his time and attention, I want to be busy with that. I want to be about my Father's business. If that's the mindset that Jesus had, wouldn't it be smart for us to take that same mindset? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. My Father worketh hitherto. He works up until now. And I work. I hope you can say the same thing. Look at, uh, I'm going to bring you back to 1 Corinthians 3. And I want to ask you here. Paul said this, I have planted. Can you say that? Can you say that? You say, I'm not seeing the, I don't see the increase of God now. I, I read about it in church history, but I don't see it present tense. I don't see God giving the increase now. Well, there's a bit of a caveat. You have to pull your weight. You have to do your part. I have planted. Can you say that? Apollos watered. Now, what, what's the difference? Well, that simply means Apollos wasn't the first one to minister to that group of people. That's all. Paul came in. He determined not to know anything among them save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preached the gospel and everything connected to the gospel. And then Apollos came in. You know what Apollos did? He just said, amen, Paul. Let me say it again, but I'll do it in the way that God has taught, taught me my style of doing it, right? Same message, slightly different method maybe. Because Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. Paul wasn't. Paul could say, I have planted. Can you say that? Apollos, he could say, I've watered. Can you say that? Verse 9, look at verse 9. Paul said, for we are laborers together with God. C can you say that this morning? Can you say, I am laboring together? together with God. Don't you want to spend time with God? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to experience more, to have an increase of God's presence? Well, if you want to spend more time with him, you're going to have to go out into the field, out into the harvest, because that's where God's busy working. We see this in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know what the Bible says after that? God he, he formed, he planted the Garden of Eden, and then he put the man there to keep and dress the garden. From the very beginning, God's husbandry. God built, he framed, he formed the earth and said, Adam, first thing I want you to do, get busy working in my harvest. Even after the fall, Genesis chapter 3, you know what God told Adam? He said, you're going to go out there and work that ground. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. He said, in the sweat of thy face, you'll eat bread. He said, that, that this ground is it's going to be tough to work with, and there's going to be thorns and thistles. Thorns, by the way, Jesus used that as, in a parable as, as a distraction. He said, thorns are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Get your goals right. Now that sin has entered into this world, the job is still the same. You still have to work the ground, but the work is a lot more difficult. There's thorns and thistles. There's sweat involved, hard labor. Listen, when Jesus was here, the Bible says that as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that he was sweating great drops of blood. I mean, that's really putting in an effort. Have you put in some labor? Are you a laborer together with God? Have you planted? Have you watered? Say, Brother Mike, I want to see the increase. Amen. If God is still working, busy in that harvest, you be a laborer together with God. Answer the prayer request of Jesus. His one prayer request while he was on the earth that he shared with others was, pray that the Father sends more laborers into the harvest. How about you, friend? Can you do that? Let me show you one other one other truth that I think we can, oops, wrong button, that comes from this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 5 now. And the last thing I want to say is God needs vessels, not celebrities. God needs vessels, not celebrities. In this passage, we've already seen in verse 4 that some were saying, I, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos. He said, guys, that's not, that doesn't mean anything. That's of no eternal value. Who then is Paul, verse 5? Paul's not senile. He didn't forget who he is, right? He's trying to put things in perspective. Saying, guys, really, I mean, you're making a big deal out of, I'm of Paul. Who is Paul? What's Paul? Who is Apollos? He said, guys, how should you think of us? This is how you think of us. We are but ministers by whom ye believed. What's the greater goal? Not to gain a, or not to make a big following for Paul or Apollos. The, the point of it, these guys were just there as vessels carrying the message so that you could believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the last part of verse 5. Even as the Lord gave to every man. This is part of God's plan. When God wants to give the increase... God gives to an individual or to an entire group of people. He gives them a minister, a vessel, sanctified 
chosen, prepared vessel, a willing vessel. God doesn't need celebrities. He needs willing, sanctified vessels. 2 Timothy 2, meet for the master's use. Right? That's what you'll find there. We want to be vessels, meet for the master's use. Who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? Listen, these men, as far as church history is concerned, as far as the Bible is concerned, I, I hesitate to use the word celebrity. Can I use the word famous? Right? They're very well known. They're, they're outstanding figures biblically. And, and when we speak of church history, well-known people. You say, but I'm not Paul. I'm not Apollos. I, that's just not me. I'm not going to be able to do what they did. That's perfectly fine. You don't have to be one of these, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, celebrities. You don't have to be a Christian celebrity. You don't have to have your own YouTube page and have a massive ministry and thousands. Of that's not you need to be a willing vessel. Just be a minister. Say, I'll do what I can do. Let me contribute. God, it says, the Lord gave to every man. The Lord's going to make sure that every individual, right, has an opportunity to hear the truth. Now think of this. I there's somebody out there waiting to hear about Christ and I may not be the right one to do that job. That, it may be that you're the nut that fits that bolt. Sorry to call you nuts, but you, you are the nut that fits that bolt. And God simply needs you not to be famous, not to be eloquent, but to be willing. Just to be willing. Let me show you a passage here in Exodus chapter 31. Because in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, we're talking about the temple of God, right? Paul uses two analogies in the chapter. Year God's husbandry. So you can think of it as in farming. Year God's building. So he likens it to farming. He likens it to construction. In Exodus 31, we're reading about the building uh, or the construction of the tabernacle, which would eventually right, um, be replaced by the temple. But notice a couple things here. In Exodus 31, verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. I wonder if Bezalel, as he went, I don't know if he went to carpentry school, maybe his dad taught him, that's usually how it happened back then. If he ever had it in his mind that one day these skills, these carpentry skills that he was uh, that, that he had, if he ever thought God would use them in such a, an incredibly important way. Most people don't even remember who Bezalel was, but what a massive part he played in the formation of the tabernacle. Look at verse 6. And I, behold, I have given, right? I have given, God gives every man, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan. Now, keep going. Aholiab is even lesser known than Bezalel. But, but keep going. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom 
that they may make all that I have commanded thee. So God gave Moses a building plan. He said, here's what I want you to get done. And I have given you the necessary laborers. You got Bezalel, you got Aholiab, but then there is another group mentioned and we never ever learn their names. He said, Brother Mike, I'm not an expert. I'm not a wise master builder. I'm not a Bezalel. I'm not an Aholiab. I'm not Paul. I'm not Apollos. Okay, you be you. But you be you filled with the Holy Spirit. You be you filled with the fullness of God. You be that cup that overflows. I like how Brother Freddie used to tell me this. This is the man that led me to Christ. Brother Freddie, he explained it one day. He took that verse from Psalm 23 about the cup running over. And he said, you know, you have a cup on the table and it just gets so full. Sometimes it just runs over. And when the cup runs over, the table gets a blessing. And then if you just keep filling that cup, it'll keep overflowing and the table will keep getting a blessing, but eventually there's no more room on the table and the liquid falls off the table and the floor gets a blessing. And if you just keep pouring it, eventually that it'll run all over the floor and even head out the door and then <laughs> the front porch gets a blessing. You, you get the picture. You get filled with the fullness of God let God increase in you. You become more like Christ and eventually that just overflows. And it doesn't matter who you are. He must increase. I must decrease. You get lost in Him and all we can see is the Lord Jesus. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what people then see. I don't know if you'll remember. Some of you might. I've told you many times about this man, Brother Freddie Reed. He was the man that led myself, my wife, to Christ. If you've, if you've ever heard my full testimony, the long version of it, then you know there was another gentleman involved. And to this day, I don't know his name. Right after Christina and I got married, we were in Fort Worth, Texas uh, on our honeymoon. That's where I grew up. And I, I wanted to go back to a flea market that my dad used to take me to. And I used to love going up and down, visiting all those stalls and seeing you know, all the old stuff that people were selling. And there was, I remember when I was a kid, there was one older gentleman that he wasn't selling anything, but he had a, he had a table set out with a bunch of pamphlets on it. And there was a picture that he had, I believe it was standing on an easel there. And the picture was downtown Dallas, which Fort Worth is right next to, to Dallas. The picture was Dallas, but with a bunch of people flying up to heaven, and there was car accidents and a plane, you know, falling out of the sky. And I never understood that picture growing up, never. And I told Christina on our honeymoon, I want to go back to this flea market and ask that man what that picture is about. We weren't saved yet. We hadn't met Brother Freddie yet. We, we hadn't gone to this church. But I knew deep down in my heart something was missing. I wanted to know more about that picture. We went to that flea market. This is now years later. This, I, I hadn't seen this guy in 10 years. There he is, 10 years later, this older gentleman sitting there all by himself, table filled with what I now know as gospel tracts. And I said, sir, when I was a young boy, I used to walk through this flea market and see this picture. I said, I am just curious, what is this picture all about? He said, young man, this is what we call the rapture. 
And on the day of the rapture, people will be taken up to heaven and cars will be unoccupied and planes and so forth. And he explained the picture. I said, man, that's interesting. I never heard of that. And he said, why don't you take as many of these pamphlets as you like? You can read them when you have time. And there were other people around, so we didn't have a long conversation. He gave me a plastic bag and I filled the bag. I took one of every track and it was a lot, a whole table filled with different tracks. I filled them all, or I filled the bag with all of them. A couple days later, Brother Freddie knocked on our door. And when I invited the pastor in to chat with him about the Lord, I had actually spread out all those gospel tracts on my coffee table. And Brother Freddie and I sat there and discussed the Bible and different things over those tracts for two hours. Now, I don't know that older gentleman's name that sat there in that flea market year after year handing out gospel tracts to curious people. I'll probably never know his name this side of eternity. All I know is he planted a seed. Brother Freddie came in and watered it. You say, Brother Mike, I'm, I'm not Paul. I'm not Apollos. I'm not good at explaining things. Do what you can do. But you want to see the increase of God in your life. You want to see it internally. You want to go deeper. You want to see it go out. You want to see it go up. Be busy about the Father's business. If you haven't seen the increase of God recently, may I ask you this morning to redouble your efforts. Maybe reassess your goals. What's eternally important? Set your eyes again on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be distracted by all these carnal, temporary matters. Be busy about things that do matter. Be a laborer together with God. Father, thank you for the time this morning to talk about these things. And Lord, I'm so glad that the God who gave the increase is still giving the increase even today. Lord, you, you don't owe us good health. You don't owe us money. You don't owe us convenience or comfort. Although, Lord, you have promised us the comforter. You've given us a peace that passes all understanding, something that the world could never give us. Lord, you have given us a way to live a fulfilling life, to use our time in a, in a way that is satisfying and fulfilling. And I pray that each person who's heard this message today will walk away with a renewed desire in their heart to see you working more, doing more, to have a greater desire to learn more about you, to deepen their relationship with you. Lord, we want to be that vessel that carries the presence of God to the next person, the cup that overflows to the table. I pray to have your hand on each person now as we go about the rest of our day. Bring us back tonight prepared and ready to hear more from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, or you'll see me tonight at 6 p.m. We're going to go through 2 Corinthians 11 a little bit more. We'll see you then.